Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. This morning as we finish up the sermon series, we're going to talk about God's glory in our life. We're going to talk about living for Christ. We're going to talk about walking in a manner worthy of the calling we've received from Jesus kind of wind this thing up and kind of put a nice bow on this sermon series. We're going to do it in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3, but I'm really going to focus on 9 through about 12 this morning. So let's just jump right in. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, the words of Paul written to the church at Colossae. And he says, we always, verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith, In Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, here it is. As to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now Paul talks about a prayer for these people. Paul begins this book, he begins this letter by praying for these people, and he's praying specifically that they're going to be filled, he says, with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But then he gives a purpose, and this is important. Paul said, I'm praying for you to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. I'm filled, I'm praying that you'll be understanding, you'll understand who he is, and you'll be filled with all this spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, verse 10 as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Right. So Paul says, I'm praying for you that you would know more about God, that you would be filled with spiritual wisdom and knowledge, not just so you can go home and have it stored up in your own mind, but so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then Paul gives us four things, and I'm going to give them to you right now, and then we're going to work back through them together. He gives us four ways in which we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In verse 10, bearing fruit. Then again in verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened in all power. And verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. 
Right, so those are four things that Paul says we can do to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So I want to start with the first one, and we answer the simple question. How do we walk in a manner pleasing to him? Number one, we have it on the screen, by bearing fruit through our good works. Paul says, listen, if you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling the Lord has placed in your life, the first thing you ought to be doing is bearing fruit through good works. Now, bearing fruit simply means you're demonstrating God's work in your life. Now, if you think about a fruit tree, and Paul uses this analogy because we all understand fruit trees. When you see an apple tree, an apple tree produces what? Apples. An orange tree produces what? Oranges. A grit tree produces what? Grits, right? Just kidding. There is no grit tree. Just joking, right? We understand a, a certain kind of tree produces a certain kind of fruit. Right, A pear tree doesn't produce oranges. And so as we read scripture, we find Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so if we're thinking about being believers and walking in a manner worthy of the calling the Lord has placed on our life. We should be bearing fruit, right? The fruit we bear is love. And joy and peace and patience. You know, the list goes. Galatians chapter 5 there. Right? Paul says, listen, if you're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you need to be bearing fruit. And you need to do it in such a way that it's obvious to people that are around you. That's exactly what's happening here in this passage. I want you to go back and look at verse 3 again. Pull that up if you would for me. Look at verse 3 of Colossians chapter 1. Paul begins this Letter, basically, by saying, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Watch this, verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, right? Here's what you need to understand. Right? Paul had already heard about the faith of these people. Paul had heard about the love of these people. Paul had already heard that these people are bearing fruit. Paul had already heard that the Lord is working through these people. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we were known in this world by the things the Lord was doing through us? Wouldn't that be incredible? Like, you think about a celebrity. If you go to the Atlanta airport and if you've ever met a celebrity or seen a celebrity or out in public, you've seen a celebrity. People talk, don't they? If you see somebody famous in public, of course, in our world, it's going to immediately go up on Facebook or Instagram or some social media account or whatever. But people are going to start talking about, there's that person, there's this famous person, I'm seeing this person. How amazing would it be if when people saw believers, they had already heard about what we had done? Wouldn't that be amazing? How amazing would it be if they said, oh, there's so-and-so, he or she goes to Rosemont. Have you heard about what Rosemont is doing? Have you heard about what that person is doing in prayer or how the Lord is working through that? Can you believe the Lord is doing those incredible things? How cool would it be if we were known by our good works? Paul says, listen, this is who we ought to be. This is how we ought to live. But here's the problem for a lot of people, right? I think this is where the, the rubber really meets the road. And this is the disconnect for so many people. So many people see this idea of faith and, and they understand it to be a belief and something they feel strongly about, which is true. But, but real faith, the scripture tells us, eventually turns into action. If your faith is just in your mind and you've never actually lived it out, I think you're missing the truth of Scripture here, right? Because we should be demonstrating that faith through our actions, producing the fruit that the world can see. One writer said it like this. He said, faith is synonymous with action. Now listen, just listen to this. Apart from action, there is no faith, right? And that's what Scripture teaches. 
In fact, there isn't even, now listen, there isn't even a noun form of the word faith in Hebrew. Faith is only expressed as a verb because faith never exists apart from action. Isn't that amazing? We talk about our faith and we talk about our belief and those things matter. And that's really the beginning for us. But Paul wants us to see, listen, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy, that faith becomes action and it leads us to the point of producing good fruit. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to go to California on a mission trip. We went to Yosemite National Park. And if you've ever been to Yosemite, it's incredible, beautiful, spectacular. And we were out there working with a missionary who lived in Yosemite and enjoyed kind of being outdoors. And he was a big-time hiker, backpacker. He did a lot of rock climbing. And so he took us one day to do some rappelling. Now, if you've ever done rappelling, it's basically where you tie a rope to the top of the mountain and you just kind of walk down the face of the cliff backwards. That's what rappelling is, right? So you go to the top of this cliff, and we weren't really high. We were maybe 50 feet up, which is far enough. You know, if you fall, you're in bad shape either way. But you go up to the top of this cliff, and you get these ropes, and you tie off, right? And he's looking for strong boulders or big trees. And there's always, he used like three different points, right? There's not just one rope. There's three things he uses to make sure we're secure. And he gets the harness on us and the rope set up. And there's a guy or a lady down at the bottom with the rope belaying, right? Kind of letting the rope out as we go. And you, you get to this point where all this equipment is set and the guy's giving you thumbs up and you've got the rope on and the harness on and you walk to the back of this cliff and you look down and it's 50 or 60 or 70 feet to the bottom and all of a sudden you have to put your money where your mouth is, right? Because I can talk about wanting to, to, to belay or repel all day. I can talk about this rope and how strong it is. I can talk about how much I trust this guy. I can talk about his experience and how many times he's done it. I can even talk about how many times I've seen somebody else do it. But when I step back against that cliff, I've got to put my faith into action, right? And I let go back down and make sure that I'm heading down the, the mountain and make sure that rope holds me. I'm putting my faith into action, right? Far too many believers kind of talk the talk. We talk about faith. We talk about belief. We talk about the need of evangelizing we talk about the importance of prayer. We talk about the importance of doing mission work. We talk about the importance of doing all sorts of things. Are we actually doing them? That's the question we've got to answer. Because the Bible says we, we've got to bear fruit. If you want to walk in a manner that's, that's right according to the Lord, it's worthy according to his calling in your life, you've got to bear fruit in your life. Now look at verse 9 again. He says, so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the, of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit, we've seen that already in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So how do we walk in a manner pleasing to him? The first way is by bearing fruit. The second, number two, is by increasing in the knowledge of God. Like, if you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, if you want to walk in a manner worthy of what the Lord has done in your life, one of the things you ought to be doing is increasing in your knowledge of God, right? Now, I want you to notice something. It doesn't just say understanding or reading or occasionally opening your Bible. It says you should be increasing in your knowledge. So the questions we ought to be asking ourselves is, listen, how am I increasing in my knowledge? How am I growing in my faith? How, how am I loving others more and more based on the truth of God's word in my life? Well, there's a lot of ways you can do it. Like one of the ways you do it is you open it on a regular basis. Isn't that kind of a novel concept? 
Like you, you, you probably already know this, but if you take your Bible and close it up and take it home today and set it on the shelf and you don't pick it up again until next Sunday morning about 8 o'clock when you're walking out the door, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good, right? It's not like osmosis. You can't like lay it up against your chest and it just stuff kind of soaks into you. It doesn't happen like that, right? You need to actually take it off the shelf, open it up, and begin to read it. And as you read it, you begin to study it, and then you begin to memorize it, and you begin to learn from it. And all of a sudden, if you're not careful, what begins to happen is you begin to read something in Scripture that really kind of grabs your heart. And you're like, man, I've never really thought about that before. I haven't really thought about how I should walk in a manner worthy of who Christ. I haven't really thought about what the Bible's teaching. I haven't thought about this particular thing. And then you start figuring out, listen, how do I take now what I've learned because my knowledge is increasing? How do I take what I've learned now and figure out how to apply it to my life? Like, how do I live for Christ? How do I, I grow up in my faith and understanding of who Jesus is? Now, I just, I just want to kind of spend a minute saying this. And I know for you guys, this is going to be kind of a no-brainer, right? Because you, you already know this. But I'm telling you, as I get into the 945 service, and especially to the 11, where we get younger and younger people, uh, this idea of absolute truth is important, right? Because here's what I want to say to you. The Bible is absolute truth. I'd like to say that. I just want you to understand that very clearly. It's foundational. It's true from beginning to end. It's without error. It's good for teaching and reproof and correction, all things the scriptures say, right? It is absolute truth. But we live in a world that is actively fighting a battle against absolute truth. Did you know that? Like, that's the world we're in right now. You may not have seen it or quite put it together like that, but we're in an absolute war fighting for absolute truth. And we've gotten to this point now, it's gotten so strange, it used to kind of be... You know, 10 or 15 years ago, it was kind of like, whatever feels good for you, do it. It's kind of your opinion, you do what you want to do. Now we're to the point of saying, listen, not only are you supposed to allow other people to kind of do what they want to do, but they should be able to kind of enforce their views on you. That's the world we're living in. With all sorts of different ideas. And I can give you some examples if you want to hear them. But I want you to understand that this is not new, right? We think about things sometimes and we think, man, this is a a new phase, or it's a new idea, or it's something fresh. And the Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. So I just want to show you something and just kind of help you understand where we're going and why this is important, right? Really, truth from the beginning, the knowledge of God, that's what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about increasing in our knowledge of God. The knowledge of God has been questioned from the beginning. Let me just read it to you, right? You can make note and read it later if you want to. Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, right? God has already created everything. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's holy. God has given Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden, the, the world to increase, be fruitful and multiply. And then Satan comes to Eve and he says in verse of Genesis 3 verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that God had made. And he said to the woman, and this is the beginning, he said to the woman, did God actually say, isn't it interesting he's already questioning the Lord <laughs> from day one, the enemy has been questioning God. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat of the tree, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now watch this, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. From day one, right, the enemy has been trying to convince us that not only is there no absolute truth, 
but God does not know what he's talking about. We don't need to listen to him. He's crazy. You do. You want to do Eve, and everything will be fine. Now, we know how it turned out, right? Sin enters the world. Death enters the world. Everything changes. But I want you to understand, from the beginning, the enemy has questioned truth, and he's kind of tricking Eve into thinking it's the same lie he uses today. He, he kind of tricks her into thinking, listen, there is no truth. God's truth is not real. Whatever your, and this is the world we live in today as well, whatever your opinion is or whatever your perception is, then that's just okay to do, right? Whatever your opinion is, that's fine. You make it up as you go. Whatever your perception is, that's okay. You make it up as you go. We need to understand when, when truth is no longer based on fact, when truth is no longer based on God's word, but instead is based on perception and opinion, then we have no foundation. And we have no anchor. And things begin to spin out of control. Now let's just be reminded, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? As crazy as this world gets, and as far away from the knowledge of God as people get, right? as believers, we have got to cling to this truth of who God is. We have to. We have to cling to this truth of who Jesus is. Right? No matter how crazy the world gets, no matter what kind of lies they tell us, no matter how ridiculous political parties seem or judges seem or laws seem or people we work with seem, whatever, there are going to be crazy people all over the world. It seems to be increasing. We've got to stand on this truth of Christ. And let me just go and tell you, no matter the problem, no matter the situation, no matter the struggle that people go through, Christ is always the answer. There's always hope in Jesus. And so as believers, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy, we've got to increase our knowledge. Why? Because we've got to be able to defend this truth, don't we? We've got to know how to walk in a world that seems to be spinning out of control. We've got to know how to live for Christ when nobody else does. We've got to know how to do the right thing when nobody else knows how to do it. But that won't happen unless we increase our knowledge and understanding of exactly who God is. So let's take a look again. Look at verse 9 and 10. Go and go to, go to 10. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work. That's the first thing we've seen. Increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the second thing. Then verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So how do we live for his glory? Truth number three, by being strengthened with his power to persevere. Right, if you want to walk in a manner that's honoring to Christ, that's worthy of the Lord, that's worthy of his calling, that's pleasing to him, you've got to be strengthened with his power in order to persevere. You understand that? That's important to get right there. Now, you need to remember that in the first century, Christians went through real persecution. And you can go back and read the history books, and you can read about Nero and the Romans and all the ways in which they uh, tortured Christians and ostracized Christians and made fun of Christians and killed Christians and in prison. We, we know the stories, right? And I've said this before, and I want this kind of sink in again, but more people were killed for their faith in the last century than all other centuries combined, right? So the idea that persecution is gone or over is just not true. Now, praise the Lord, we, we live in a world today, at least in Western Christianity, where by and large, we're not persecuted quite like they were. 
But, and, and again, I don't, I don't mean to be a downer, and, and I hope I'm wrong, but it seems to me persecution for believers is kind of increasing a little bit. It seems to me like we're kind of heading in that direction. We've been kind of made fun of and, and kind of set aside. We, we've been marginalized by and large. Most of the mainstream world thinks we're kooky and crazy and we don't know what we're talking about. And right now we're just kind of a silly sideshow to most people. But I'm telling you, the time is coming when what we're doing is illegal. Because when we stand up for who Christ is, especially when it goes against a lot of the political correct, politically correct things in our world today, and it goes against some of these people that have kind of gone off the left field, as we would say, when we begin to stand up for the truths of Christ in that sort of environment, it's not going to be a funny sideshow anymore. It's going to be worthy of arrest. And so we need to be prepared and be ready to face this endurance. You understand that? You don't want to be asleep at the wheel when this happens. Now, Paul understood this. Right? And you can go through the writings of Paul all through Scripture, and you can read things he says and how he talks about persecution and how he prepared. Let me just read one of them for you. Philippians chapter 4, you'll be familiar with this. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says whether it's a good time or a bad time, rich, poor, happy, sad, plenty, hunger, abundance, need, I can do these things because Christ strengthens me. Now James adds to this idea a little bit. James chapter 1. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right? It's amazing. You begin to study these people in Scripture that have gone through struggles and they've gone through trials and they've kind of learned how to be strengthened and they found the power of the Lord to persevere. Right? It's amazing when you begin to read about these people and you understand that the reason they were able to persevere, the reason they were able to make it through these moments is because they saw God in his glory. Right? They understood who God was. They understood his power and his majesty and his glory. And they said, listen, I'm going through this struggle. It's an earthly struggle. It's a very difficult thing for me to have to go through. But I'm looking beyond the world. Right? I'm looking beyond the things of this earth. I'm looking instead to the greatness of God. I'm looking instead to his glory and his majesty. And so these things that are happening now are struggles and they're hard, but they're temporary. Because I know there's something greater ahead. One of my favorites is in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you can go read through if you want to. They, they're brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. They're supposed to be bowing down to the idol. Remember the big idol he made? And they flat just turned him down, right? This is Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. They've turned him down. He brings them up again and threatens them. Listen, and by the way, they're eventually going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. He threatens them again. Listen, if you don't bow down to this idol, I'm going to do very bad things to you. Listen to what Daniel chapter 3 verse 16 says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, 
that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up for us. Isn't that incredible? Like We believe God is going to save us, but even if he doesn't, we love him enough just to give up our life for him. Because we've seen his glory, we've seen his power, we've seen his majesty. You understand that? Like if we, As we increase in the knowledge of who God is in our life, it leads us to this point of being strengthened with power in order to persevere. And I need to wind this down. Look at verse 12, Colossians 1, verse 12. Right? This is the fourth thing. We've seen three things already. Verse 12. Actually, let's just go to it. Let me, let me read 11 and 12. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might and for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's the fourth thing. If we want to walk in a manner worthy and pleasing to the Lord, number four, we do it by remembering or giving thanks for all he has given us. I mean, you want to you change your outlook in life, right? I, I, I talk to my kids often, and I have, I can't say this in the next service here, I have three daughters, so attitude matters in my house, I'm telling you right now. If you ever had teenage daughters, attitude is a real thing, right? So I see some of y'all laughing and kind of nodding your head. So I talk to my daughters a lot about attitude and how attitude matters, but you want to change your attitude in life, you want to change your perspective in life? Just ponder all the good things the Lord has done for you. Man, there's a thousand bad things we could all think about right now. There's a thousand bad things in our life probably and at work. And we, we could name, if we sat there long enough, we could think of enough bad things. But instead of focusing on those bad things, what about just focusing on the goodness of the Lord? And listen to what we see right here. Paul says to us, just in these few verses, listen to what the Lord has done for us. He's given us a share of his inheritance. Can you imagine? The creator of the universe allows us to share in his inheritance. Amazing. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to his kingdom. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. Man, Can you imagine all the Lord has done for us? Simply because of his grace. Simply because of his love. Now, I want you to hear this this morning, and we kind of wind this thing down and finish this thing up. All, all the gifts the Lord has given us, life, by the way, health, man, it's Thanksgiving week, and, and, and I hope you have a little time off, and you, you can share with your family, and, and, and you can kind of be thankful for what the Lord has done. And I pray as, as leaders in your home, with your children, or your grandchildren, or your aunts and uncles, or whoever's with you, you can be the person that talks about the goodness of the Lord and gives thanks for all he has done. But let me just say this. I think the greatest gift the Lord has given us is salvation in Jesus Christ. It allows us to do all these things. And, and so if you're here this morning, and I, and I know many of you have been a believer for, for decades. And have faithfully served the Lord. But, but if you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Christ. You've never given your heart to his goodness and to his love and mercy. I'd love to share that with you this morning. I'd love for you to come down front and me talk to you about all Jesus has done and all he's given you and all he's sacrificed for you this morning. Now, I want to tell you one other thing, and then I'm going to be done this morning. We've been challenging you. We've been challenging you to, to grow in your faith and understanding and then to serve Jesus here and around the world. We've taught this morning about living a life worthy of his calling. We've given you kind of four very clear things right out of Scripture that you ought to be doing. But the thing we've challenged you with in this last set, in this last portion of this sermon series, is to find a place of service.
One of the ways you can show the Lord's goodness in your life and demonstrate his good works in your life is to serve others. And so last week you got a little card, a little serve card. I hope you brought it with you this morning. If not, there's some more out there in the little uh, vestibule of the lobby or you can pick one up. We're asking you this morning just to turn one of these things in. Right? You, you can do it a couple of different ways. If you want to come down front this morning, you can and have prayer about this. There's a basket right over there by that door. There's a basket by that door. If you want to bring them down and put them at the altar, I'll pay, t- take them up. If you say, man, I want to serve. I'm not comfortable walking down front and, and putting it at the altar. That's fine, too. You can put them in the basket on the way out the door. But I want every person in here, every person in here to serve, to serve somewhere, whether it's here or around the world or in Troop County or whatever the Lord leads you to do. I want every person in here to find a place of service. So let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you for the, just the clear teaching of Paul, Lord, just giving us these very specific ways in which we can live a, a, a life that's worthy and pleasing to the Lord. Thank you, Father, for showing us, for demonstrating this to us through Christ. And Lord, now I pray for this time of invitation. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that's never received the forgiveness of Christ. Lord, I pray you would invade their heart right now. I pray you would just show them their need of a Savior, and I pray that, Lord, in this moment, during this time of invitation, they would give their heart and life to you. Father, use us to do great things. May people find a place of service and and commit to a place of service. Father, use us for the sake of your kingdom, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. Altar is open. You can come and pray. Respond as you'd like, but you come as we sing together this morning.